You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Hello, Bleeding Green Nation, and welcome back to another edition of Eye on the Enemy, powered by SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. I'm your host, John Stolness. You can follow me on Twitter at John Stolness. Coming up on this edition of the podcast, it is draft recap time. We're going to take a look at what Dallas Cowboys did, what Washington did, what the New York Giants did, and I'll give you my thoughts on what the Philadelphia Eagles did in the draft. I wrote a piece for Bleeding Green Nation over the weekend, my 10 thoughts on uh, the Eagles draft, and I was not enamored with what Howie Roseman did this weekend. And so uh, we'll get into that coming up in just a few minutes, and we'll give you some reaction from around the NFL on the Eagles draft and on what the Eagles' foes inside the NFC East did. And I think uh, the team we're going to start off with here on this episode of the podcast is the Dallas Cowboys, because universally, almost entirely across the board, the Dallas Cowboys were perceived to have probably the best draft of any team in the NFL, and that's distressing news for everybody that they play in the NFC East, including the Eagles. I mean, you just can't look at the Cowboys draft any other way. And when you're grading drafts like this, obviously, we're not going to know really how all this plays out until two or three years down the line. When we're analyzing these drafts, basically what you're looking at is value. What was the process by which teams made these picks? Because as we look at what the Eagles did in the second round with Jalen Hurts, if they're able to somehow make it all work, then it turns out to probably be a good draft pick. If Jalen Mills turns into a, a Pro Bowl safety, well, then you didn't need to spend a second round pick on a safety there. Or if if Avante Maddox or, you know, heaven forbid, Sidney Jones turns into a a really good outside cornerback to go with Darius Slay, well, then maybe taking Jalen Hurts in the second round works out. You don't know all of these things until two or three years down the road. But when we're talking about draft grades, we're talking about we're talking about team fits. We're talking about getting players when you didn't think you could get them, getting them at good value, uh, watching players fall that you thought um, maybe weren't you know weren't going to be there when it was your turn to pick, and you end up getting them. And sometimes the board just falls your way, and I think that can be said for the Dallas Cowboys. Let's go over what they did. Of course, everyone by now knows that with number 17 overall, they took wide receiver CeeDee Lamb out of Oklahoma. Truly a remarkable situation for them to be able to land who I, the guy that I thought was the best wide receiver in this rookie class. He's got it all. He's got speed. He's got size. He's got playmaking ability. He's going to join a wide receiver core with Amari Cooper and Michael Gallup. People don't remember Michael Gallup went over 1,000 yards last year. Gallup probably now becomes the slot receiver in this offense. Goodness gracious, you've got to be kidding me. Dak Prescott is going to have a field day throwing to these guys, and the Eagles are going to need their secondary, their cornerbacks and safeties to be able to cover these guys. It's going to be a, a matchup problem for Philadelphia for the foreseeable future. In round two, they take cornerback, cornerback Trayvon Diggs out of Alabama at number 51 overall. Jerry Jones, I was talking about the fact he didn't think Diggs was going to be there. I'll get to that in just a second, but I think that's also very good value. Even if you don't love the player, that's a good pick at number 51 overall, and it met a need that Dallas had coming into the draft. In round three, number 82 overall, they take 
defensive lineman Neville Gallimore out of Oklahoma. In round four, they had two picks. Number 123 overall, they grabbed cornerback Reggie Robinson II out of Tulsa. And then at number 146, center Tyler Beattis. I'm not sure if I'm getting his name right, out of Wisconsin. Round five, they get defensive end Bradley Anai out of Utah at number 179 overall. Bradley Anai, Bradley Anai. Not sure. And then in round seven, they did not have a sixth round pick. In round seven, they got a developmental quarterback, Ben DiNucci, out of James Madison at number 231 overall. He likely is a practice squad practice squad guy or doesn't even make the roster. But we'll start with the C.D. Lamb pick because this was obviously a crusher for Eagles fans. It gives Dak Prescott possibly, potentially the best wide receiving trio in the NFL. It's a nightmare matchup for the Eagles, especially since the Eagles didn't spend a second round pick on another corner like Oh, I don't know, Christian Fulton, the guy who excels in in zone defenses, exactly the type of defense that Jim Schwartz likes to play. He was still available. We'll get to the Eagles here in just a few minutes because it was a head-scratcher of a move, and you didn't get a guy like that. It might even have made the Jalen Hurts pick worse because, again, you don't want to reach for positions of need, but here's a guy in Christian Fulton who right where you were supposed to get him, even even a little bit later than where you were supposed to get him. And the Eagles, knowing that that the Cowboys got C.D. Lamb, that they could have used more help in the secondary, decided not to go that direction. But again, we'll get to the Eagles in a second. I'm not going to be able to not talk about it throughout the podcast because I'm, I'm, I was so mad. Trayvon Diggs is not the favorite of our BGN host, Michael Kister, Ben Solak, if they, they could very well be right. I think the opinion is split on Trayvon Diggs, how, how good he's going to be. But again, outstanding value at number 51 overall in round number two. Jerry Jones said that the team he felt had a 1% chance of landing digs at that spot in the draft, but I think most evaluators had him still being available around that time. Diggs is not a super fast corner. He's not going to be able to stay with with really fast guys, so maybe that's an advantage for the Eagles if he's on Deshaun Jackson or Jalen Rager at some point down the line, but he does have some size. He'll probably compete with Anthony Brown for a spot in the week one starting lineup. I think at minimum, he's going to see a lot of work in the nickel and in dime packages as a rookie. So that's a productive player they got in round number two. Then in round three, they went with Oklahoma defensive tackle Neville Gallimore. He started all 14 games, had 30 tackles, seven and a half tackles for loss, four sacks uh, for Oklahoma last year. Had better numbers in 2018 with 50 tackles, five for loss and three sacks. He's super fast, very athletic. He can really get up the field. He's got the potential to be a better pro than he was in college, according to a lot of experts. And according to the Athletics Big Board, the Oklahoma prospect gave Dallas three top 50 players through their first three selections. So again, tremendous value here through three rounds for the Dallas Cowboys. And then with their first pick in round four, they got another cornerback, Reggie Robinson. Again, a very athletic player, great size and speed. Uh, Some work needs to be done on his agility and his technique. Uh, But with their other fourth-round pick, they took Tyler Beattis, the center from Wisconsin. You know, listen, I don't know much about this guy, but if you're going to draft a center, Wisconsin seems as good a place as any to get one. They traded with the Eagles for this pick. So they gave up two fifth rounders, one this year and one next year, in order to move up into the fourth round uh, to get this guy. And so they can thank the Eagles for for landing this cat. Most expected he'd be off the board sooner than this. So again, good value for a guy who was a very productive player at Wisconsin. So did the Eagles help the Cowboys get a quality center at the end of the fourth round in this draft? That remains to be seen. But if so, that's not going to be great. 
In the fifth round, they took Bradley an A, uh, edge rusher with good production. Not a lot of elite traits, but again, some good value there. He was a very productive player in college, uh, Got piled up a lot of sacks. And in the seventh round, they took a flyer on Ben DiNucci out of James Madison. Again, he's not likely to be a long-term member of the Dallas Cowboys. But there's no denying the fact that the Cowboys appear to have had a very, very good draft. Just about every expert across the board is lauding them for getting phenomenal value pretty much every round in the draft. And no, they did not get the impact edge rusher they were looking for, but they did strengthen their secondary. So they they didn't get the edge rusher they needed, so that's good news. But the Cowboys are just going to outscore the heck out of everybody they play this year and probably for the next few years. Evan Silva, the great NFL analyst with the website EstablishTheRun.com, he's always got great stuff to say. I agree with most of what he has to say most of the time. He said of the Cowboys draft, quote, the Cowboys put on a master class of hammering value and still addressing almost all of their biggest weaknesses. No roster improved more during the 2020 draft. And then he gave them an A plus grade. And I can't argue with that. I'll go A, but sometimes some years the board just falls your way and the Eagles help the Cowboys out a lot. Jerry Jones and the Cowboys just came away with a draft class that may have vaulted them over the Eagles in the NFC East, not just for 2020, but for the next few years. That's how good their draft appears to be. Now, again, we got to wait and see over the next couple of years. How good was this draft? Are these players that they took that they got great value for? Do they turn out to be good players? We'll see. But that's you can say that with every one of the drafts here right now. We're just looking at value. How what kind of athleticism do these guys have? What kind of fit? What schemes did they play in college and how do they match up with what they're going to do with the pro team that drafted them? You you can get a sense for these things. And with the Cowboys, the sense seems to be that they absolutely nailed this draft class and that is bad news for the rest of the NFC East and the Philadelphia Eagles. Let's move on to Washington. The evaluations for Washington's draft were not nearly as kind. With the number two overall pick, they did the smart thing. They did not think themselves. They didn't screw anything up. They didn't try to be too cute. They took edge rusher Chase Young out of Ohio State at number two overall. That was the right decision. They had no second round pick. So in the third round at number 66 overall, they took running back wide receiver Antonio Gibson out of Memphis. Now, this is a curious pick, which we'll get to in just a minute. In round four at number 108 overall, they took offensive tackle Sadiq Charles of LSU. With their second fourth-round pick at number 142 overall, they grabbed wide receiver Antonio Gandy-Golden out of Liberty. They had two fifth-round picks at number 156. They took offensive lineman Keith Ishmael of San Diego State. And then a few picks later at 162, they grabbed linebacker Kalik Hudson out of Michigan. And then, and then they had two seventh-rounders, uh, number 216 safety Cameron Curl of Arkansas and number 229 overall defensive end James Smith-Williams of North Carolina State. So the headliner of this draft is obviously going to be Chase Young. It was the right move. Ron Rivera did the right thing here. Sometimes you can galaxy brain these types of moves. You can try to trade down and get cute. They didn't do any of that kind of stuff. They grabbed one of the best defensive ends, one of the best edge rushers to come out of college football in the last few years, get an elite talent to go after Dak Prescott, go after Carson Wentz, to go after Daniel Jones, disrupt the other team's franchise quarterbacks and, and, and try and make an impact on defense that way. When you've got an elite talent there and a pick that high, you want to get the value for that pick, and they got it. They're going to pay Chase Young a lot of money at number two overall. He is likely going to be worth it. Washington had no second rounder, as I mentioned, to go, so now they're really hamstrung. 
because this is a team that had the worst offense in the NFL last year. They had no second round pick to try and improve in that area. So that was the argument to move out of number two, get yourself a second round pick. So maybe you can improve yourself along the defensive line. Maybe get yourself a Caleb, a Caleb on chase on and get yourself a second rounder. So, and so you can maybe grab a wide receiver in the best wide receiver class in, in recent memory, but they decided not to do that. So they had no second round pick. So in an effort to upgrade the skill positions, I feel like Washington reached here with Antonio Gibson out of Memphis. He's a versatile Swiss army knife type guy. Think very poor man's Christian McCaffrey. That's what they're hoping he turns into, a lesser Christian McCaffrey. But here's the deal. He didn't do much in college. He had 71 touches in his final year at Memphis. Only 33 carries and 38 catches out of the backfield. Now, 12 touchdowns with those 71 touches. That's an incredible rate. But that's not really a repeatable thing. You can't can't bank on a guy having that kind of touchdown ratio per touch. It just doesn't happen every year. He averaged 15 and a half yards on those touches, which again is great, but it's curious why the guy only had 71 touches all season. The the Redskins needed an offensive playmaker in this draft and they needed to get one early. And basically they needed to get it in the third round if they were going to get it, which is why they reached for Antonio Gibson, but they put themselves in the position of having to reach here. And I don't think this is a pick that's going to be a home run for them. Washington did trade Trent Williams. Finally. They did not get the kind of return that they were clearly hoping for when they refused to trade him last year and at the start of uh, and at the start of the draft. They got a fifth round pick this year, as well as a third round pick in 2021 for Trent Williams. So what Washington hopes is that in the fourth round that they drafted his potential replacement in Charles out of LSU. Here's the thing. And this is according again to a lot of these guys, a lot of uh, college analysts. Charles has shorter arms than you would ordinarily like to see from an offensive tackle, so it's not likely he's going to stick on the outside. He's probably going to have to move to guard. Now, that's not a sure thing. Maybe he's able to make it work, but you're not getting a prototypical offensive tackle that you know is going to be a Trent Williams replacement, and you're probably not getting that guy anyway in round number four. So that's probably going to have to wait until next year's draft uh, to or, or hope that somebody pans out here on the offensive line, but you lose Trent Williams. He didn't have Trent Williams anyway. Trent Williams was never going to be a part of the team, so you get what you can get, I guess. They missed the boat last year trying to force Williams to come back to the team, and now this year, Ron Rivera finally realizes there's no point to it anymore. Let's just get what we can get, so they got a fifth rounder this year for it. They spent one of their fifth rounders on linebacker Kalik Hudson of Michigan. That was the, that was who they um, took with the, uh, with the Trent Williams pick. They also got offensive lineman Keith Ishmael out of San Diego State. Again, these are fifth round These are day three picks. You hope that one of these guys hits? Probably not. That's the thing with day three picks. So you hope the fifth rounder, you know, you you hope that you grabbed in in Keith Ishmael, somebody who's going to at least be a backup for you, be a rotational guy for you. In Khalid Hudson, you hope that you got a guy who can play some special teams his rookie year and make an impact somewhere down the line. But again, graders have not been kind with Washington's haul here, and I really can't blame them. I don't think Antonio Gibson is going to be the playmaker the offense desperately needs. They, they really got bad value for Trent Williams as a result of waiting too long to deal with him. So I think this is a D-plus draft, maybe even a D-draft. I think this is worse than the Eagles draft. I really do. I, I think this is a draft where Dallas, where Washington, pardon me, really needed that second-round pick in order to get the offensive playmaker. They're going to go into the 2020 season here, whenever it starts, still with a woeful lack of talent around Dwayne Haskins. I don't, I don't think Antonio Gibson's going to be the answer 
at wide receiver or running back or, or however it is they choose to use him. I mean, maybe he turns into a really good slot receiver and a guy who catches the ball out of the backfield. But I think so much of the success of this draft is going to depend on what Gibson gives them offensively. And now let's move over to the New York Giants, who drafted number four overall in the draft. And we make fun of Dave Gettleman a lot. I think Dave Gettleman did a pretty damn good job, at least on days one and two of this draft here. Taking offensive tackle Andrew Thomas out of Georgia at number four overall. There were other directions they could have gone here. They could have gone with a with a defensive pick here. They could have gone with an edge rusher. But they decided to to protect their franchise quarterback on the left side of the offensive line. And Andrew Thomas, by, by just about all accounts, has the highest floor out of anybody here. In round number two, at number 36 overall, they took safety Xavier McKinney out of Alabama, a guy who a lot of people thought the, could be on the Eagles' radar if the Eagles traded down in the first round. He was on the Cowboys' radar at number 17. In round number three, number 99 overall, they got offensive tackle Matt Pert out of UConn. And then in round four to wrap up the day, uh, pardon me, so those were the day two picks. And then so he started off round uh, day three with his fourth rounder, number 110 overall, grabbing cornerback Darnay Holmes out of UCLA. Again, another very good pick. And then he spent most of the rest of day three grabbing a bunch of linebackers. In the fifth round at number 150 overall, he got guard Shane Lemieux out of Oregon. In the sixth round at number 183 overall, he grabbed linebacker Cam Brown out of Penn State. And then he had four seventh round picks. Uh, Number 218 overall, linebacker Carter Coughlin out of Minnesota. Number uh, 238 overall, linebacker TJ Brunson out of South Carolina. Number 247, cornerback Chris Williamson out of Minnesota. And then... Uh, what does they call this guy, the last pick in the draft, Mr. Inconsequential or whatever it is, linebacker Tay Crowder out of Georgia. And the Giants are just hoping one of those four linebackers at the end of the draft turn into something. But with the number four overall pick, the Giants went with Thomas, which I think was a guy that you pretty much know what you're going to get from him. He didn't allow more than two pressures in any game since 2017. It's a good value pick, man. That's a good, that's a good pick, and that's going to be a guy that's going to match up with... Uh, Chase Young, pretty much year in and year out for the next seven years or so, five to seven to ten years or however long both those guys play, that's going to be a great battle to watch over the years in the NFC East. Uh, There were other offensive linemen they could have taken there, maybe that were a little more athletic, maybe have a little more upside, but this just feels like a really solid pick and the right thing to do to protect their franchise quarterback. And it's really going to kind of work out for them if you look into the crystal ball. If you take that pick along with uh, fourth-round pick Matthew Pert, you can have Andrew Thomas move over to the left side to to uh, replace Nate Solder by the end of uh, by by the start of next year, and then you can have Pert going over on the right. I think the idea here is Thomas is going to start off on the right side of the line uh, here in 2020, and then move over to the left once Nate Solder's contract is up. And then Pert, the guy you drafted in the fourth round, is going to go over on the right hand side. Gettleman drafted in the trenches here early, which is what you want to do when you've got a young quarterback here in Daniel Jones that you want to have around for a, for a long time. So again, I just credited. Dave Gettleman with a shrewd draft, and I I really can't believe I I just said that. Uh, With their second-round pick, they took safety Xavier McKinney. Again, great value here. Just the value is too good to pass up. He's not—they have some fixtures in the secondary already that you wonder about the fit here, but again, McKinney was being mocked by some to go to the Cowboys at number 17, and here you are in the second round, and McKinney falls to you. It's just too much talent there. It's too much value not to take him. So— Again, his fit in the Giants defense is a bit of a question, but they'll figure out a way to work a guy in who's that talented. In the fourth round, the Giants got cornerback Darnay Holmes out of UCLA. Uh, looks like a good candidate to be a slot corner for them, which is a great thing to grab there in round number four. So 
building in the trenches, building in the secondary, the Giants filling some areas of need here on the defensive side of the ball. And that's where most of their focus has been this offseason in free agency and now here in the draft, really improving the defensive side, hoping that Daniel Jones and uh, hoping that the, the, the skill position players that they already have develop more here in, uh, in, in Jones's second season. I like what the Giants have done here this offseason. I think they've had a good offseason, and we'll see how it plays out with a shortened offseason of no OTAs and all of that. In all, I think the Giants had had a tremendous day one and day two. And then on day three, they just drafted a bunch of linebackers, a bunch of off-ball linebackers in round six and seven, and they just hope one of those guys can stick at some point here. This is a solid B-plus draft for me for the New York Giants, and I think you got to give Dave Gettleman a little bit of credit. I think he did a good job filling needs, getting good value, especially in days one and two. And then, you know, knowing that they really need an off-ball linebacker here to kind of fully complement the defense, just took a bunch of shots, threw a bunch of darts, and hope that one of them stick. That's kind of what you do on day three, which is also why you don't overly praise a general manager's day three, which I'm going to get to here right after the break when I talk about what the Philadelphia Eagles did with their draft and how Howie Roseman, Andy Weidel, and Doug Peterson approached the draft this year. I'll give you my thoughts on that next here on Eye on the Enemy. Vacations can be tricky. You already know how to book flights and hotels, but now the only thing you're missing is, you know, the actual travel experience. Because is it really a vacation if you're just sitting around like you would at home? You need a tool to get the most out of your time away. That's where Viator steps in. You can book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who already been on the experiences you're considering, so you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge... That takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's insight assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a... 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. And we're back with Eye on the Enemy. So 
Let me give you my thoughts on the Philadelphia Eagles draft. And I wrote a piece for BleedingGreenNation.com with my 10 thoughts on what the Eagles did. And most of you by now know what they've done. You've probably listened to the Kisten Solak show. You've gotten their analysis. And definitely you want to make sure to listen to them before um, or at least after you listen to, to this podcast if you haven't already. But uh, I think they really nailed it. They, they really nailed how I feel about this draft as well. I see a lot of people out there after day three praising Howie Roseman for a good draft. And folks, if you're using the day three picks... And, and Howie Roseman, I think, did fine on day three. He traded down a lot, got a lot of extra picks. They took a lot of athletes in, in the in, on day three. They grabbed John Hightower out of, out of Boise State at wide receiver and Quez Watkins out of Southern Miss in round six. Okay. Sean Bradley, the linebacker out of Temple in round six. Prince Tega Wanago in, in round six. That was a pick that was lauded by a lot of people as a great value pick. I hope that it is. And then crazy uh, Casey Tuhill went in round seven. Who cares? But look, they just wasted their day two picks. Jalen Hurts at quarterback was a monumental wasted opportunity by this team. It's still hard for me to wrap my head around what it is they think that they're going to do there. You had guys in round two, like edge rusher A.J. Penza, wide receiver Denzel Mims, linebacker Josh Uche, cornerback Christian Fulton was the guy, and safety Jeremy Chen. They all would have been terrific additions at that spot in the second round. It would have bolstered obvious weak spots on the team. Was getting a backup quarterback something the Eagles needed to do this offseason? Yes, it was. But spending the second round pick on a player who, if everything breaks right the next few years, never really sees the field except on gadget plays or as a runner or receiver a couple times a game because the hope is that Carson Wentz, the guy you gave all of the money to, the guy that you said is your franchise quarterback, you've hitched your wagons to Carson Wentz and he's shown you, aside from getting speared in the back of the head by Jadavian Clowney, that he could be healthy net last year and play at an elite level without any talent around him with the exception of Miles Sanders and, and Boston Scott, for crying out loud, that he can be a guy that can take you to the playoffs. You go and get a backup quarterback who you hope never has to really see the field. And you're telling me you're going to install a two-quarterback offense here? That you're somehow bringing back the Wildcat or some version of it? How is that going to work in a shortened offseason when you're not going to have any OTAs, when you're, not, when you're going to have to do everything virtually, when you might have a, a smaller or shortened training camp? We don't know what the offseason is going to look like. And you plan to install this backup quarterback, this two-quarterback system, this, this gadget offense this offseason in, in time to help you for 2020? I, I find it hard to believe. And if, if you're going into this, this summer knowing that you're not going to be able to get it together for 2020, then you have completely wasted a second-round pick that has any, any value to you this season. Now, I understand that this draft is not always about the coming season. You draft, you're drafting for the future. But if that's the case, why are you not drafting playmakers to help Carson Wentz? Why are you? Listen, I wouldn't, have, I wouldn't have gone Denzel Mims in the second round after you got Jalen Rager in the first round. And we're going to get to Rager in just a second. But you could have gone after Denzel Mims here. And given yourself two unbelievably blazing fast speed guys to go along with Deshaun Jackson and really given, given Carson Wentz an even better chance to succeed. That gives this team a better chance to succeed this year and in the following years more than Jalen Hurts does. Now, I've seen out there some other people saying, because you may not have college football this year, or college football may be radically different this coming year than it was this past year, that Jalen Hurts will have more value as a trade, as a trade ship. You're telling me someone's going to give up a first rounder for Jalen Hurts next year? That's not happening. The most you get is a second rounder. The most you get is a wash here. And you don't. And so maybe you you draft the defensive player or the or the offensive skill player next year or in 2022. But what good does that do you? 
What good does that do you? It's just, it's impossible to imagine what kind of role Hurts is going to have with the Eagles if Carson is healthy. And if Carson goes down, if he gets hurt, that's a disaster. Jalen Hurts is not going to be ready to take this team on a playoff run this coming season. He's not going to be ready to do that until year two or year three if he's good. And never mind the fact that he had to transfer to Oklahoma because he got beat out by Tua. Now, that's not to say that backup quarterbacks can't turn into something, but how often does a Tom Brady situation happen? Where you've got a guy in Drew Bledsoe who's playing over Tom Brady, Bledsoe gets hurt, Tom Brady comes in and becomes the greatest quarterback of all time. That's not going to happen again. And what about Carson Wentz? The, The other aspect of this decision is what it means for the locker room and other players perceptions of Carson Wentz. Carson Wentz finally had the locker room. He finally had he he finally had his teammates knowing that he was the guy. With Nick Foles gone, it's now Carson's team. He was the guy. So now you go get this this young backup quarterback who let's just say you're playing this two odd this two quarterback game. And let's just say there's a couple of games where Carson's not throwing it well and hurts in 2021 or something like that's is, is lighting it up. Well now you've got a whole new quarterback controversy on your hands. Because you know it's going to happen. You know there's going to be games where Carson Wentz doesn't have it. We saw it this year. And the cry is going to be for Jalen Hurts to be to, to, to take over. You know it's going to happen this year. Even though we know Jalen Hurts isn't going to be ready to go here in 2020. Why bring this into the room? And everything you just keep seeing is what a great locker room guy Jalen Hurts is. By implication saying Carson Wentz is not a great locker room guy. You don't have to say Carson Wentz is not a great locker room guy when all you're talking about is is how great Jalen Hurts is for the locker room. What a great clubhouse guy. What a great character guy is. The implication there that you are making when you say it and you know you're making this implication is continuing to further the narrative that Carson Wentz is a bad guy. Do I know that Carson Wentz is a great guy? No, I don't. But what I do think is that Carson Wentz, by the end of last year, had this team believing that he was the guy. And now you throw that all up into the air. And I will say one other thing regarding Jalen Hurts. Is this the scenario that he was hoping for? Did he want to be a backup quarterback for the foreseeable future? Or did he want to go someplace where he had a chance to compete for the starting job? When you get drafted behind a franchise quarterback who was just given a mega contract, you know you're not going to be the starting quarterback unless something catastrophic happens to that starting quarterback. And in that case... You have just made a ma- a monumental mistake in giving Carson Wentz all of that money and hitching your wagon to him. And so that doesn't reflect well on you as a general manager. This just makes absolutely no sense, and it completely sullies the rest of the draft for me. Jalen Rager with the first-round pick is fine. I would have gone with Justin Jefferson, but the Eagles clearly wanted to get faster. That was the, that was the mantra in this draft. Get speed, guys. And it's clear that they just preferred Rager over Jefferson because Rager has the speed that they want. I'm fine with that. I'm fine with that, okay? You want to go with Jalen Rager? Okay. We will see who is right. We will see if Justin Jefferson or Jalen Rager becomes the better pro. And you got you to gotta throw CeeDee Lamb into the mix here, too, because not dealing the second-round pick, which you then used in the boneheaded decision of drafting Jalen Hurts, you basically said, we thought it was more important to get a backup quarterback who probably won't see the field for more than a handful of snaps a game over the next couple of years, if all goes perfectly, rather than use that pick to trade up and get C.D. Lamb, a guy who I think was the best receiver in the draft and will probably be a Pro Bowl player for years to come. That's how this all is playing out in my mind, which is why this draft really turned into a mind-blowing exercise in silliness, in bizarreness. This was a bad draft, and I've lost confidence in Howie Roseman as a drafter. 
I have no confidence in Howie Roseman as a drafter. You, you can do all of the tradebacks you want on day three. And you can get all of the dark. You can go get Hightower, who ran a 4-4-3 40-yard dash. I get that he's fast. Quez Watkins, a 4-3-5 40-yard dash at the Combine. In, in your, with your third-round pick, you can, you can get Davion Taylor, who, again, has all the speed in the world, was a, was a, uh, was a track star in high school. Can he play? Can any of these guys play? They're speed guys. They're going to have to get coached up, as Michael Kiss talked about in the latest Kiss and Solak. They're going to have to get coached up, and they're going to have to get coached up in an offseason that's probably going to be truncated, that's going to look different than any other offseason we've ever seen before. Expecting anything out of these guys in 2020 is, is a fool's errand. And listen, the hit rate on day three guys is so phenomenally low that you're just hoping one of these guys pans out. Hightower or Watkins, and the chances of either of these guys turning even into it, you're hoping you get these guys to be a number four receiver for you, okay? So if we're praising Howie Roseman and throwing a parade for him after what we saw on day two, I'll give him a pass for day one. You don't want to trade up for CeeDee Lamb and use that second round pick because you really like Rager's speed and you like Rager's game and you like him more than Jefferson. That's just a difference in evaluation. They watch way more tape than I do. They talk to way more people than I do. I'll submit to that, and we'll just have to wait and see if Jefferson or Rager or C.D. Lamb is better and whether or not the decision to go with Rager in the first round was the right one. I'm not going to kill them for that pick. I'm going to kill them for day two, and especially the Jalen Hurts pick, because that totally submarined what you could have done in round one, and it totally, it, it completely messed up and, and p- deprived them of a good defensive player or another offensive skill position player. Wouldn't you feel better about Denzel Mims than John Hightower or Quez Watkins in round two? I sure would, and maybe you get maybe you go with your your off outside linebacker in in round five, because we know the Eagles don't care about offensive outside linebackers. It just felt like a wasted opportunity here, and this this really killed the draft for me. I think it's bad for Carson Wentz. I think it's bad for the locker room. I don't care how good a quarterback, how good a guy Jalen Hurts is. It's not good for the locker room to create more confusion in a locker room in which you had Nick Foles and there was all this confusion to begin with. It's as if Howie Roseman and Doug Peterson just weren't around for the last couple of years. Just absolutely crazy to me. And yes, the, the Eagles went out and got Marquise Goodwin in a swap of sixth round picks. That's fine. We'll see if Goodwin has anything left. He hasn't been good. He's got speed. He hasn't been good. He hasn't been healthy. Do I think he's going to miraculously become a great receiver here in Philadelphia? I do not. We'll see. I'm not killing the pick. It's a, it's a fine pick. What I'm killing is the celebration of Howie Roseman's day three at the expense of days one and two. So they get some linebacker help in Davian Taylor. We'll see if they can coach more out of him. Again, was I impressed with the coaching staff the last couple years, that they coached guys up really well? Not really. We'll see. The Eagles took Sean Bradley, who if you're you know familiar with Philadelphia sports of the last 30 years is a terrifying name when you hear it. The Eagles drafted Sean Bradley, but here it's a Temple linebacker. Uh, we'll see how productive he is at the, at the NFL level. He's probably going to be a special teams guy. I did like, one of the picks I liked was Kayvon Wallace out of Clemson. Uh, I think he's got a good profile. Uh, do I think he's the next Doc? No, but I think he's going to be a pretty good player. And I think outside of Rager, I think he is a guy that probably will see the field more than any other rookie. Um, I don't think it's going to require a ton of offseason coaching. He's just got to get on the field and his instincts uh, have to start to take over. The, the Eagles went out and got some os- offensive line depth as well, uh, taking Jack Driscoll. Played tackle in college, is probably going to switch to guard here in the NFL. He's basically going to going to assume the Halapulavati Vitae role as a guy who can kind of move around a little bit. Uh, and then when Jason Kelsey retires, probably after this season, you move Siamalo to the center spot. And hopefully Jack Driscoll has uh, developed enough 
and uh, that uh, Andre Dillard has developed enough that you have some stability there on the left side of the line at tackle and guard because you know you're going to have Sam Malo at center, Brandon Brooks at right guard, and Lane Johnson at right tackle. That could be a solid offensive line. Driscoll is going to have to be coached up, but they've got the best offensive line coach in the game in Jeff Statland, so I feel pretty good about him being able to get something out of Driscoll there. Uh, and again, on day day three, there's a lot of talk about Prince Tegan Wanago, a guy um, out of Nigeria who had some medical issues, which caused, caused his stock to drop. It's the reason they were able to get him in the sixth round. Again, it's a dartboard throw, but that's what you spend sixth round picks on, these kinds of guys who have a lot of uh, physical ability. And that's one thing the Eagles did on day three. They went with upside and raw physicality over production in college. I'm fine with that as a philosophy on day three. And I'm happy with what they did on day three. I just don't know that it's going to be terribly impactful. The history of the NFL tells you that it's not going to be terribly impactful. But they went with upside over production, especially in the later rounds. They they went with uh, volume here, 10 picks. I'm glad they used 10 picks. I'm glad they are infusing the team with athleticism and with speed. That's something they de- desperately needed. And in that way, the Jalen Rager pick makes a lot of sense. They're going to have to be coached up. There's a lot of projects that were taken here in this draft. And the coaching staff is going to have to do a better job than what we've seen from them over the last couple of years. Otherwise, this draft's going to be an unmitigated disaster. So overall, this was an unsatisfying draft for me. I think the Eagles may have landed themselves a couple diamonds in the rough. They're going to hope, they're going to have to have to see if they can get some something out of these day three guys. And we'll see about Rager and we'll see about Taylor and we'll see what they do with Jalen Hurts. I am not feeling good about it. I don't think you can use day three as a way to really increase the grade after what went down on days one and two. I think it was a disappointing days one and two in a lot of respects. Again, the Rager pick could totally change my mind if he plays well and outperforms Jefferson or at least plays as well as Jefferson and C.D. Lamb, or you you really can see the value in having him there. But overall, I think this is a C-minus draft for me. Again, just talking about the decision-making process, the value, you cannot just throw away a second round pick. And that's what the Eagles did. They absolutely just threw away their second round pick, a pick that they didn't want to use to go up and get a guy who I think is more of a short thing at wide receiver in CeeDee Lamb. And then as a consequence, that receiver falls to the Dallas Cowboys. So I'm going to leave you with a couple final words here. Uh, Not from me, uh, but from a couple other sources. Uh, The first from Blogging the Boys, the Dallas Cowboys uh, SB Nation site. And I think there's a lot of truth to this and it kills me that they're right about this. They wrote, There's no denying that the 2020 NFL draft was incredibly successful for the Dallas Cowboys. This is not homerism. This is me talking. This is not homerism. They had a great draft. They write, The hall of talented players, most taken much later than almost all the boards predicted they would go, is remarkable, especially for a team that went into things with only seven picks while being stuck in the middle of the order each round, plus the very last comp pick of the fifth. They didn't even have a sixth rounder after trading it away for Robert Quinn. So the way Yacht Jerry, Stephen Jones, Mike McCarthy, and most all Uh, Most of all, Will McClay parlayed into that what is widely viewed as one of the best groups in the league is just remarkable. Not only was this extremely satisfying, it was entertaining and even a bit of fun. Adding a special cherry on top of this creamy bowl of football goodness is that one of the most enjoyable aspects of things is that the Cowboys got not just one, but two significant assists from one of, from the one team in the NFL that most hates doing anything to benefit Dallas, our beloved and kind-hearted rivals, the Philadelphia Eagles. This post is a testament to how they selflessly overcame those baser instincts to offer a couple of helping hands. However, we come here not to criticize the Eagles, given how the goodness of their hearts is the only real explanation for all this, but to thank them for their assistance in helping the Cowboys have one of the best drafts in memory. 
yikes. And of course, they're talking about not trading up to go get CeeDee Lamb in front of the Cowboys and then trading them their fourth round pick so they could go get uh, the center that they were hoping for. Finally, from the SB Nation mothership, where they were doing winners and losers of the draft. Under losers, they have the Eagles and in parentheses, everyone in the NFC East not named the Cowboys. They wrote the Eagles had a weird draft. They went with receiver Jalen Rager in the first round, which addressed a need but was a little higher than he was expected to go. Then they surprised everyone by grabbing quarterback Jalen Hurts in the second round. Linebacker Davion Taylor in the third round was a bit of a reach, but they didn't draft and they didn't draft a cornerback. But where they're really screwed is in the NFC East. The Cowboys had an incredible draft, and as their top competition in the division, the Eagles need to keep pace with them. But the Cowboys lucked into top talent players like CeeDee Lamb and Trayvon Diggs and are building what looks like one of the elite teams. They even replaced their best offensive lineman with one of the draft's best offensive linemen in the fourth round. The NFC East has been a division in flux for the better part of a decade, and it's been just begging for someone to step up and take control. It looked like the Eagles would be that team after they won a Super Bowl two years ago, but since then have only seemed to make lateral moves at best. Bonus. The Cowboys got rid of Jason Garrett, so they should be firmly favored to be the top team in the division next season. If you can find something to argue about there, folks, I welcome you to have at it. I cannot. And that's what—that's one of the most depressing things about what happened in this draft is that it really feels like the, the Cowboys vaulted over the Eagles here and have the better roster heading into this season. But again, we will see once these things play out on the field. It's easy to sit here a couple days after the draft and hand out grades and call teams winners or losers. They got to coach these guys up. These guys have to get on the field and we will see what happens. But at the moment, Eagles fans... Very few of us are feeling good about what went down on Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. Folks, that'll do it for this edition of Eye on the Enemy. I want to remind you to keep reading BleedingGreenNation.com. You guys are killing it with the traffic. Obviously, uh, we, are, we will continue to churn out the content for you here over the next few days and weeks as we continue to analyze what went down on draft weekend and now look to, to look forward uh, with undrafted free agents. I know the Eagles have signed a bunch of those guys as well. We'll talk about those guys in upcoming uh, podcasts as well and look ahead to what's going to be a very, very interesting dead zone here uh, with OTAs and uh, other team activities probably being curtailed in some way. We don't know exactly how just yet, so we'll be uh, taking you through all that over the next days and weeks. But I'll have some guests coming up here on the next few episodes of Eye on the Enemy. We'll talk to uh, some Eagles, uh, Washington, and New York guys, uh, and gals maybe, uh, to see what they think of what their teams did in the draft and what lies ahead for them here this offseason as well. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. We'll talk to you next time here on Eye on the Enemy. P-G-N. Support for this show comes from Wix Studio. Designers and devs, you might be able to do your thing better on Wix Studio, a web platform with everything you need to deliver bespoke sites hyper-efficiently. Design teams get a ton of smart features that can take the grind out of web creation without it costing per-pixel control. Dev teams, you get a zero-setup, developer-first environment combined with an AI code assistant and your preferred IDE for rapid deployment. Search Wix Studio today to explore the full range of features.